0: Please turn with me in the word of God to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. I'd like to thank you for the warm reception this morning, also for the privilege to bring God's word to you. we be reading from verses 4 through 7. This is God's holy inspired word. Please give your full attention to it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful, O Lord, that we are not left to our own wisdom, how to glorify you, how to worship you, how to serve you. And we're so thankful at the center of that word is Jesus Christ, the living word. We do pray, O Lord, that we, uh, that your word might have its work in our hearts and your spirit, convicting us of our sin and also enlightening our eyes that we might behold Christ. For he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's in his name we do pray. Amen. These verses uh, we have read from Philippians are some of the most beloved verses from all of Paul's letters. And that for good reason. In view in verse four is our relationship with Christ. We're to rejoice in the Lord always and we have our relationship with others in verse five let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to all but this morning i'd like for us to start with verse six which we could say brings into view our relationship with ourselves do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving Let your requests be made known to God. Here are two commands so central to the Christian life. The first command is not to be anxious about anything. The second command is by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to let our requests be made known to God. Simple commands, straightforward commands, and yet we struggle so mightily with them Uh, we're an anxious people we worry about so much Uh, we're seemingly always trying to hold on to something we might be trying to hold on to a life to possessions, to a reputation uh, to our health the list is endless that we get anxious about or uh, We worry about what we lack. Uh, We lack uh, money, security, success, fitness. Again, the list goes on and on. And I do understand that we worry about different things. But we we share the disruption. As we worry, we share the disruption. It disrupts our joy. And it deprives us of peace. But it's not just anxiety that we struggle with; there, all, there also is a struggle with prayer, with thanksgiving. And here, a main problem is we simply don't pray. Uh, you have to pray uh, before with, with thanksgiving here in this command before anything else. And the fact is, few things in the modern age have suffered as much as prayer we're so busy, we're so tied up with everything going on around us that we don't pray as we should. The day goes by, our head's hitting the pillow, and we haven't turned to the Lord in prayer. And yet, when you read the letters of the Apostle Paul, there's few things that he emphasizes as much as praying. Um. He's always encouraging his readers to pray. Uh, He tells the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. He tells the Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer. He urges Timothy to regularly pray for all people. Now, Paul's doing this because he knows that prayer brings glory to God. But he also knows that prayer is a means of grace. It's a means of grace by which our communion with the risen Christ is deepened. And prayer is of utmost importance because you cannot live your your life, the Christian life, on your own apart from prayer. And friends, um, I know our days are busy, but when we don't pray, we're making a statement we're making a confession that we can live this life apart from Christ, that we can live it in our own strength, that we do not need to turn to him. Um, And you know what happens when you do that? You look inward. You look inward for your stability. You look inward for your strength. You look inward to make it through your days. And uh, what the Apostle Paul Uh, continually proclaims and throughout his letters is that when you do that, apart from Christ, it only increases frustration and it only increases guilt. And it's not only the Apostle Paul that we learn that from. The whole Protestant Reformation is tied up in this truth. Martin Luther knew that looking inward, that you cannot save yourself. That your works will be not be that which is pleasing unto the living God. And again, just like in the first commandment, when we're anxious, there's this disruption of joy and there's the depriving of peace. So again, in the second, in the second command, when we don't pray with thanksgiving, joy departs and uh, there is this loss of, of thanksgiving. You see, Paul understands when it comes to living the Christian life, you must look to Jesus Christ. He is the one who has died more than that, who was raised and is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. In and the way a biblical way that you confess that, that you live this out is by praying. But it's not just praying, it is praying with thanksgiving. I mentioned three uh instances uh with Paul where he tells others to pray. Um, Well, what he also does when he tells them to pray, he often, almost always, enjoins it with thanksgiving. So we have our verse here, in Philippians 4, 6, that uh, is by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that our requests are to be made known to God. But what does he say to the Colossians when he says, uh, devote yourselves to prayer? Do you know how he finishes that verse? He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What does he say to Timothy when he's to pray regularly for all people? He says, first of all, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And what does he tell the the Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. What are the very next words out of his mouth? Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, why is he doing this? Why is he connecting prayer with thanksgiving? Well, for one thing, Paul knows that a spirit of thanksgiving keeps our prayers from being filled with complaint. It keeps our lives from being filled with complaint. Um, Here is Paul. And he's urging us to pray with thanksgiving. And uh, you would think if someone could be bitter, it could be this man, because as he's writing these very words, he's unfairly imprisoned. He's in chains, but yet, despite the chains, there's there's no complaint. There's no bitterness. As a matter of fact. He's pleading with the Philippians, do all things without murmuring and complaining. He's pleading with them to be thankful and be filled with joy for what Jesus Christ has done for them. Um, He's telling the Philippians, he tells them from the very beginning, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. And then he, he tells them, he prays for them with joy because of their partnership in the gospel with him from the first day until now. He's doing this. He's praying with thanksgiving. He's urging them to pray with thanksgiving because of it's acknowledgement that he owes everything to the living God. And he knows that salvation is all of God. And he wants the people of God to know that. He wants the church to know that. A recognition that you cannot save yourself. A recognition that you cannot cleanse yourself from your own sins. A recognition that salvation is wholly the work of the living God. Now, when friends, when you know that to be true, brothers and sisters, when you know that to be true, when you know that your sins deserve the everlasting wrath and curse of God, and yet your sins have been forgiven because Jesus Christ went to the cross for you, because he loved you and laid down his life for you, do you not rejoice? And should you not rejoice in the Lord always? And that's what he's declaring. In that fourth verse in in chapter four, that joy comes from knowing what Jesus Christ has done for you and your relationship now to him. But that then is to impact your relationship to others. As Christ has been gentle and patient with you, you're to be gentle and patient with others. So that you're not always filled with bitterness about what others do. But rather, uh, you're patient, you're gentle, and you rejoice for them. And you rejoice what the Lord is doing in them. See, that's what's going on here um, in regard to how it's permeating these verses. Um According to Paul, the Christian can rejoice in the Lord, a Christian can be gentle of others because of Jesus Christ. Or as he puts it in the language of our text, the Lord is at hand. Now, when you see that the Lord is at hand uh, in the Bible, it's often very sobering, particularly in the old covenant, because what preacher can stand in the presence of the Almighty Holy God? Um but there's also a sense, there's also a sense in Scripture in which this phraseology can mean something else. Um, it can express something new. And the sense here would be from Second Corinthians 6, 2, where Paul puts it this way, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's another way in the Apostle Paul's terminology to declare to us that something new has happened with the coming of Jesus Christ. Something new has happened um, in which believers are not to fear. Um, something new has happened with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where believers can live without anxiety in this life and also turn to the Lord in all things in joy and thanksgiving. It's a new day of confidence, a new day of access. It's a new day of prayer. I mean, that's what we see most clearly. You know, the, the writers to the Hebrews tells us in his fourth chapter, he tells us there in Hebrews 4 that we have, we have a high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And because he is a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, because he is a high priest uh, who in every respect has been tempted As we are yet without sin, the writer of Hebrews tells us we can draw near. We can draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and grace to help in the time of need. That's a new day, a new day of confidence, a new day of prayer. Jesus puts it this way in the Sermon on the Mount ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find not and it will be open to you. Now, why are such blessings ours? Why uh, this confidence as we come to prayer? Well, it's because of what Jesus Christ has done. This is how uh, the beloved disciple puts it in John's Gospel, John chapter 11. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this in account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. It's a new day of prayer, a new day of confidence for us, because God the Father hears his Son interceding for us. That's what's happened. The Lord is at hand. It's a new day of salvation, a new day of prayer, a new day of thanksgiving, a new day in which Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and his Spirit's been poured out upon us. It's the fulfillment of the promises of old. Just to pick one wonderful psalm, it's the fulfillment of Psalm 34. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. All these promises are being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And there's one outstanding, there's one outstanding promise in the scripture. And that is the return of our Lord, which is also near. In the words of 1 Thessalonians 1.10, we wait for God's Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So in that sense, the return of Jesus is always near. It's always as hand. And as we wait for Jesus to return, we are to pray for his return with thanksgiving in our hearts that he has delivered us from the wrath to come. So, Paul then, Philippians 4, declares to these saints that they're to rejoice in the Lord always, that their their gentleness be known to everyone. He then declares to them that the Lord is near. And then, this being the case, he commands them to be anxious about nothing, but by prayers and supplication with thanksgiving to let their requests be made known to God. And then he follows it up in verse 7 with the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, praying with thanksgiving brings peace. And it's absolutely imperative that we pray with thanksgiving as command of the living God to us through his apostle. But understand, friends, that that doesn't create peace. Uh, It's a matter of you using. It's a matter of you participating what you already have. You see, you already have peace in Christ. So it's absolutely essential that you pray with thanksgiving but that that prayer is made efficacious through Jesus Christ and the new day that he brings. Again, let me return to that. This is what Hebrews 9.24 tells us. For Jesus Christ is the one who entered into heaven itself, where he now appears in the presence of God in our behalf. That's why we have peace with God. It's because Jesus Christ died for our sins. And now, risen, intercedes for us in the presence of God. To put it in other terms, from 1 John, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So we have peace with God, but it is the gift of God. That's the reality. It's nothing we earned. It was not because we entered into some deal with God, it's because God had grace upon mercy upon us, we who were sinners. And here's the amazing thing. The imagery of that peace in verse 7 is that of a garrison. That's literally what in the Greek also was to be brought out here. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What we have in Jesus Christ is a garrison of peace that guards us. and in that sense, it is a garrison of heaven. What we have in Jesus Christ is a garrison of heaven. Well, why do I say that? Well, notice what is said here of this piece. It surpasses all understanding now there's phrases in the Bible that roll off our tongues and we've heard them our whole life and we memorize them, but maybe we don't dwell think about them as we should. That is such a significant addition there that this peace surpasses all understanding what does he have in view here well this peace it can't be explained away by the wisdom of the world this peace cannot be explained away by the wise pundits of this world this peace is beyond human comprehension this peace is supernatural this peace is what the god of peace has given to us and that's where this passage is going if we had more time and we could look at first nine this peace is what is ours because what the god of peace has done for us through his son and where he is bringing us to be with himself for all eternity where uh he will dwell with us he being all in all You see, when you think about these commands and you think about what Jesus Christ has done for us, Paul is also bringing into view, you're to think about heaven and what awaits for you there. Friends, heaven is the realm where everyone rejoices in the Lord always there's nothing but rejoicing in heaven. There's no more sin and death and suffering in heaven. Heaven is that realm of joy. Heaven is that realm where there's no anxiety like there is in this fallen world. Things don't pass away in heaven. Things pass away in this creation, but things do not pass away in heaven. Heaven is that realm where there is perpetual thanksgiving Giving for the Lord. And heaven is that realm where there is peace forevermore. And that is what is yours now. And when you pray with thanksgiving and you trust in the Lord for all things in your life, you are showing that your citizenship is found in Christ in the heavenly places. And isn't that what the Apostle Paul has just told the Philippians? How does the third chapter end before he enters into Philippians chapter 4? He says, Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Why should you rejoice in the Lord always? Why should you be gentle with others? Why should you be anxious about nothing? Why should you pray with thanksgiving? Because the Lord is at hand. A new day of salvation has appeared. All the gifts of heaven are yours in measure. Even as you wait for that day in full in which you will dwell with your king in your resurrection bodies. How can you not... Just explode with joy. And how can you not give thanks to your Lord and trust him and come to him in prayer? I mean, he's guarding you. You are in the palm of his hand. He is guarding you unto that day. And the peace is yours in this journey. It's found in Christ. It's a peace that the world does not know. Christ is not praying for the world. He is praying for you, his church. And again, that's why these commands are before you. And that's why living out of your union with Christ, you can follow after your God in this way. It's not beyond you. By yourself, it is. By itself it could be utter failure, frustration, guilt. Uh, you will not be kind to others. You will not always rejoice in the Lord. Uh, You will be one who who is not filled with thanksgiving, but rather in bitterness. But in Christ, you are so blessed. One last word in closing. And perhaps this should have been our starting point. But uh, notice what's happening in the context. In verse 2, we're told the two ladies in the church are simply not getting along. They're not agreeing in the Lord. In other words, they're fighting. And often what you see throughout the letter to Philippians with the, these commands, they deal with these two ladies fighting. Judea and Syntyche are fighting. And the apostle here is urging them to live in harmony in the Lord. Um, what should they do? What's his counsel or his proclamation to them? Well, they shouldn't go on treating each other as badly as they are. They should be gentle and reasonable with each other. They shouldn't go on murmuring and complaining about the other person. They shouldn't do that. What they should do is pray. What they should do is pray for one another. What they should do is pray for one another with thanksgiving. What they should do is to love one another in the way that Jesus Christ has loved them. Or in the words of Philippians 2, to have the same attitude in themselves that's it found in Christ Jesus. Because who is the one who always prays for us? It's Jesus. Who is the one who always gives thanks to his Father in heaven for us. It is Jesus. Do you realize that, friends? You are the apple of the Lord of the universe's eye. You are the apple of his eye. You are the one that he so loved that he laid down his life for, and he prays for you without ceasing. And as he prays for you, he gives thanks to God the Father. For you paul's the one who practices what he preaches but the true source of christian christian living is found in jesus christ himself and that's what paul's after here in these admonitions of philippians 4 the commands here are to the end of finding our life hidden christ and not in this world the commands are connected to knowing to, Who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. And what that means for us in these relationships. What it means for us in regard to our relationship to the Lord. Verse 4. We owe him everything. And because it's a perfect salvation found in him, we are to rejoice. What it means in our relationships to others. Verse 5. We're to be reasonable. gentle. We are to prefer the other person in love because that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has preferred us in love. And then when it comes to our devotion to our God, we show that we uh, owe everything to our God in our prayers. We speak to our God, confessing our sins, acknowledging his goodness to us. You know, all of life. All of life is to live to the glory of God. And all of life is to be lived out of union with our Savior. Now that's what's before us. Uh, But friends, on the basis of the word of God, I, I say to you, what is more blessed than that life? What is more glorious than that life? What is more joyful than that life? And what is more peaceful than that life? It surpasses understanding of the world. It's totally otherworldly. But your eyes have been opened. You believe. And blessed are you. You have not seen your Savior, but you have believed. And you store that hope that you will be with him for all eternity. So live as a redeemed people now. And the way to start to live as a redeemed people, pray, pray with thanksgiving, and trust in the Lord. Don't be anxious. Um, you know, there's a reason why these verses are so beloved. Uh, we can always come back to them, and we know just what treasure we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.